Injury takes you out of the game. It's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. I'm Will Trapp, and you're listening to Sound of the Lutes. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast presented by alina health orthopedics i'm steve mcpherson and i'm once again joined by cal williams these games have been coming fast and furious uh i uh, if you're watching this video i look like darth kermit like i'm wearing my hood because i i have not really done anything today other than get up and start getting ready for the next game which is which is only a couple of days away. So this is really, we're really hitting the part of the season where the rubber meets the road. Uh, wouldn't you say so, Cal? I mean, we've talked about before, this is the most important game. This is the most important game. It's re- they're really all the most important games from here on in, it seems like. Yeah, from here on out, Steve, it is legitimately six pointers all around. Um, and it's, it is, as you're sort of insinuating there, rinse and repeat and just go again every sort of couple of days and uh, not too much time for preparation for the players. Um, they... I know how to look at some tape um, from Philadelphia over the course of the last few days in preparation for, for Wednesday's game. A little bit of regen here and there, a little bit of work on the shape, but apart from that, not too much. And, um, you know, that was difficult, obviously, because of them flying back on the Sunday from from Austin. But um, I think you can probably, you, I think you can say they did about as much as possible, really. And, and I'm sure it'll be something similar for the game against LAFC. I know it was sort of a regen today at, at training a regen day at training today um and and i would assume friday would be the main tactical work day um and it's just not a lot of time to, to, to do much, much preparation really but it, it is it is crazy it's carnage it, it's it's such a thrill steve when you look at the western standings and, and the, the eastern standings of course but um it, it is just so entertaining it, it's crazy, um, and this is why we love sports for for this sort of time of the year, where results uh, they absolutely matter more than anything, um, more so than performances, in my opinion. Um, and uh, last night was was an example of that, and uh, it, it's been great, Steve. It really has, and it, it is legitimately all hands on deck now until November seventh, um, or essentially November eighth, the day after the LA Galaxy game, and uh, hopefully Minnesota United will know where they're positioned and who they're playing in the playoffs. Yeah. I think one of the things that um, is maybe underappreciated Cal across a lot of sports um, is that during, once the season gets started, there's precious little time to really adjust tactics. Um, You know, and I think that when these double game weeks happen even more so, but I remember this being a surprising thing to me in the NBA where you think, you know, Hey, the, this team, like how, how have they not adjusted to this new player that like, they traded for this guy? How are they getting him involved? And then you find out the schedules that are involved. I mean, the NBA is going 
three, four nights a week or something like that at, at a lot of these times. A lot of the teams just haven't had like a full practice. It's like you have time for a run through uh, and a shoot around and then it's time for the next game. And when it's a double game week for, for MLS, it's much the same thing. I mean, you know, today is the day after, you know, they went out and played uh, the, all those uh, many of the starters played 90 minutes. Um, you have to regen, like you're saying, there's, there's recovery today. And then you're basically like, all right, we're going again. We're not going to install some kind of new tactical approach for a game. That's the next day. You know, it's, it's, this is, you are who you are at this point of the season. And, you know, you, you put your best team out there and, and you see what happens. Um, and then you hope that, you pull your best card and and it's better than the other team's best card. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of how that game against Philadelphia felt. Let's, let's back up a little bit because we haven't had a, a pod since the win over Austin. Um, a one nil win, you know, going up, going up early and then hanging onto it on the road. Um, again, like you said, performance, not necessarily as important as simply getting that result. Obviously a one nil win is rarely a pretty one. Uh, but, uh, but it was, it was a win. It was a win they needed badly after going uh, winless in three. Um, Q2 Stadium, good-looking stadium, I got to say. Uh, you know, like we're just watching it on the broadcast and uh, first time down there for them. Austin, it's a city I love. Franklin Barbecue, my home. It's like my my it's 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 my mecca. It's the place I want to go back to. I I'm a little upset I didn't get to go on the Austin FC road trip this the this time around this year because uh, it's a great place. Uh, fun team. You know, like it, they they look wildly different than they looked earlier in the season. I think that's 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 fair to say, right, Cal? I think from a personnel point of view, yes. Um, not yeah. so much in terms of the way that they're playing. Right. They're still quite direct. They're still quite uh, abrasive in in a, a counter pressing motion, um, and and that they are um, a little more. They've got a little more about them. Um, than just uh, what you would expect from a regular expansion team. I think Josh Wolf has got them playing some some good stuff, and you can clearly see there's an identity with them. I think they just need uh, one or two more players in um, to really be as effective as they want to be in, in the way that they're trying to do it. So um, I, I, I think more than anything, uh, I said this uh, last week heading into the game, I'm more interested and more excited to see what Austin FC are doing next season particularly at this stage as well, because it, it's obvious and it's clear that the owners are going to back them with the money. Um, in an expansion year, they bought in three DPs. Um, I, I dare say they will find a way of bringing in some some high-caliber players in in the off-season as well. Um, the, the, the biggest issue for them has been similar to Minnesota this season, Steve, in the sense that they, they don't have a natural goal scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, Drishi uh, came in and, and has been good, um, he was a player who was expected to go back down to Argentina and play at, at River Plate, uh, was on big money in Russia, and, and all of a sudden ended up um, on, on a big contract in Major League Soccer. Um, not entirely sure uh, he's the, the centre forward they need. I think he's a little more withdrawn. Um, but I think if they had a if they had a natural goal scorer, if they had a, a supreme finisher, I think Minnesota might have been in a bit more trouble mm-hmm. down in Austin over the weekend because from from what I saw, it looked as if um, Austin FC, being the home team as well, you expect an element of possession, and they they possessed a lot. They they transitioned through the centre of midfield. Pochettino, I thought, was great, um, and that uh, that they, they were um, ex- exactly what I thought they were going to be. To be honest, Steve, and um, you know Minnesota did ever so well. I think the theme over the course of the last last two games for Minnesota has got to be resiliency um, mm-hmm. and a, a tremendous showing of character, because the, there's so many times when you're up against it, 
um, and the, the the opposing team is coming at you thick and fast and creating chances and what have you. It's so easy to cave psychologically, but uh, all, all credit to the the back line and to Tyler Miller again um, for for making saves a lot of the time that you would expect him to make, but but he pulls off some really good saves, really important saves from time to time as well. And um, I I thought the the win in Austin really gave them a platform, um, and they they obviously continued to climb. Um, and impress with with a victory over over Philadelphia, but um, by no means was it the uh, the most complete performance against Philadelphia. But I, I was looking back this morning, Steve, and I struggled to to highlight any individual that I thought had a poor game. I thought everybody gave it their all. Mm-hmm. To be honest, that there's no one I can really think of um, where, where you you can identify major faults. Um, the, the the only moment really is is the Metinier red card. Um, but apart from that, um, I, I don't remember anybody having a really bad game. I thought just about everybody pulled their socks up and, and gave a good account of themselves. And and that's exactly what Minnesota United needed, particularly given the circumstances of the Western Conference at the moment and given the fact there's four games left. Hopefully now what this means, Steve, is Minnesota United head into the playoffs, hopefully, with a bit of form and a bit of momentum behind them. Yeah, I thought that uh, the Austin game, Austin for their part, felt a little bit uh, the way that Minnesota United has felt at, at, at certain times where they're making, they're creating those opportunities, but they're not cashing them in. Um, I thought Pochettino's play in the uh, open field was great, but he had a couple opportunities that if he had just got them on frame, you got to think that maybe one of those goes in. And that's felt a little bit like a familiar story for Minnesota United uh, at, at those moments where there's a good chance. I think Cecilia Dominguez also had another one that, that, mm. you know, but for a heroic effort could have gone in, you know? And so there's, it, again, it's one of those things that, like you said, I think resilience um, is, is one of those things that the team has tried to really breed. And hopefully we're seeing that come in there. I think there was a little, a little, certainly a little doubt about that following the Colorado Rapids game, given, you know, going up a man and, and, and sort of having an advantage and then sort of, and then collapsing basically it's almost a team that needs to be pushed against the wall. It seems a little bit in order to get that, that performance. And it's the kind of thing that hopefully, you know, fighting for that positioning is, is the thing that's inspiring. And then once you get in the playoffs, it's all to play for every game. So, you know, you, you, you got to go for it. The men, let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on to Philadelphia. The men near red card was now I was trying to remember last night. I didn't have time to go back and, and sort of research this. I feel like Metnir sort of got into a dust up toward the end of the Austin game as well. And I, cause I yes. just remember myself feeling like there was a one, we were the uh, Minnesota up one nil. I was like, D- man, don't get tossed. Like you've got a one goal advantage. Like, don't, you know? And so it, like, do you think he just, he's just feeling a little beat up right now? I mean, he's obviously an important part of the team and he's obviously takes a lot of licks because he works hard. Um, it just seemed like he was like really upset <laughs> and and just ready to get kicked out of the game. almost. I think he was just irritated. Um, I think he's had a couple of decisions that haven't gone his way over the course of the last two games. Um, also Steve, the, the jet lag as well, I'm sure from the, the game sure. in Austin probably played its part. Maybe. Um, uh, in all I mean, seriousness, and coming back from internet, I mean, he traveled right internationally. So. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying with the yeah. jet lag. In terms yeah, yeah. of he was legitimately playing yeah. in the Democratic Republic of Congo and then right. Madagascar, you know, and flying over. But I, I say that loosely, really, because I, I'm not entirely convinced that that made a major difference. But what certainly did has been, I think, he's been clipped and kicked and sort of scratched and punched and what have you um, over the course of, of the last couple of weeks really in Major League Soccer and, and he's not had a lot go his way so I think it was just a build up of irritation really mm-hmm. um, I saw the, the when, he, when he lost his school a little bit um, and had to be calmed down 
Um, and it was similar um, in the Philadelphia game, Steve, where I, I haven't had a chance to go back and properly look at, at that situation yet. I'm about, uh, what am I, uh, 58 minutes into the, the game that I'm rewatching. Um, and and from, from memory, though, Steve, you know, it was obvious that um, they wanted a penalty. Uh, a free kick was given the other way, and, and Metinier and Reynoso as well were, were both irritated with the decision. Mm-hmm. And I think Reynoso, um, Reynoso remained on the ground for, for a little bit. But I, th- I think Metinier was just um, just fed up of, of um, decisions not going his way consistently. Um, and ultimately, in that situation, Steve, yeah, I get it. You know, you're, you're going to be annoyed, but you, you have to keep your cool. Um, and, and it was not um, not Homa Metinier's finest moments because... Um, I know him and him and Kai Wagner had been chirping at each other throughout the game, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was um, Wagner who was the recipient of the the thrown ball from from Metinier. and and of course he's going to sell it. You know everyone right. um, does that in the situation. If the roles were reversed, I'm sure Metinier would have done the same. You know, yep. um, if you have a chance to get an opponent sent off, you, you're going to do it. It's tremendous gamesmanship, and, and it is what it is. Um, and uh, that that's that's a red card nowadays. Um, so I, I think Metinier just has to be a little, little cooler. Um, he he knows he, he'll. I'm sure he may feel quite embarrassed actually, wandering mm-hmm. around the National Sports uh, Centre today. And, and I, I'm sure he's apologised to his teammates because it, it's it, it wasn't needed really. And, and what it does, Steve, is it does present um, a little problem moving forward for Minnesota now because we still mm-hmm. know that Metinier is is one of the best right backs in Major League Soccer. Uh, Minnesota are a better team with him in the eleven, um, so now Adrian Heath has got some thinking to do, um, and I, it it just felt as though it was all a little bit needless, to be honest. I don't think we need to be in this situation, but yet here we are. Yeah, yeah, it, you know, with it was funny how the game was so chippy. I mean, I found myself feeling like it, this was the kind of tenor you would expect from you know, sort of an SKC game or like teams that see each other a lot and they're sort of jockeying for position and it's a six pointer, you know, in the Western conference. And it was like, they're an Eastern conference team. They haven't played each other since 2019. Like I remember, you know, I was working on content leading up to it and I was trying to find a picture that had people who were still on both teams in it. Cause it, you know, it, <laughs> I was going back, I was finding pictures of Maximiano and Fernando Bob playing against Philadelphia union. It's they haven't seen each other since 2019 but, you know, as I thought about it, I was like, maybe that's kind of what led to it a little bit is that I think maybe they, they came in unfamiliar. And then when it got chippy early, there was a little reaction from both sides that was like, what the hell? Like, we're not supposed to be chippy. And that led to like more physicality. There was, you know, there was obviously a lot of chirping and a lot of join and just sort of collisions out there on the pitch. And, and and you know, the, the crowd booing uh, Olivier and Baizo. How do you pronounce that last name? Olivier Baizo. Baizo, so the Amazon, okay. Mm. Olivier Baizo, uh, you know, it, you know, after the the foul with Reynoso, where he sort of, uh, again, speaking of selling it, when he sort of chested up against Reynoso and Reynoso <laughs> went down like a sack of flour, you know, like the uh, the 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 supporters made sure that Baizo heard that every time, and it was, you know, like it was fun, and it's the thing I associate with Philly. I don't even really know if 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 the union sort of are, uh, conformed to the Philadelphia uh, stereotype of how the how the fans and the and the teams are my favorite quick quick aside here uh early when i got into uh sports the first thing i was into was hockey actually i followed the nhl and i remember watching a flyers game that uh the flyers won 
And uh, at the end, as they went to the broadcast crew and they were talking amongst each other, you know, they, they, they stopped and they were like, oh, the, the fans are throwing some stuff at the Flyers players who were leaving the ice. Um, you know, like the Flyers were going down the tunnel and the fans were throwing crap at them after the, after, after the Flyers had won. And they were Philly fans. It was a home game. <laughs> and it was the Flyers' own fans who were throwing like trash at their own team after they had won. And I was like, this sort of embodies the Philly vibe, I think. And so I don't know if the Union, you know, like f- fall. I don't know. I, I have not watched enough Union to know if this is how the teams are. But oh, yeah. um, but it was a fun it was a fun game for that. And what I really want to talk about is uh, Reynoso. Uh, who started, you know, like I was sort of tracking this on my notes a little bit because he started when he first started the game, but his first couple touches, I was like, it looks a little off for him. Like he looked a little, uh, there was something early on that happened where I was like, Oh, maybe he's not, he's not having a great game. He's not focused or it was maybe a turnover or something that I was just like, it looks like he's not, he's not quite there. And then, you know, once he got going, he just seemed to like gain in power, like, like, <laughs> you know, all these little back heels and side heels and, and just doing everything he could, you know, it, it's, it's ridiculous uh, how good he is overall. And then specifically in that game, he looked great. I was, I was also disappointed when Matt went off because, you know, there was 10 minutes left and I thought like they could get another one and put it away at this point. And then they had to sort of fall back and defend when they had 10 men. But um, you know, if we're if we're seeing the onset of sort of late season and playoffs Reynoso right now, man, it's gonna be it's gonna be must see TV uh, down the stretch and and hopefully into the the postseason there. Yeah. So first and foremost, Steve, just going back to to the little um, as you so elegantly said, chippiness. Um, it's because it's the, the this time of year. It's playoffs already. There's a playoff vibe and feel about every game because everyone knows how important it is. So I think that's where um, the intense nature of the game stemmed from. And I suspect it'll be like that on Saturday against LAFC and certainly moving forward against Sporting KC and LA Galaxy for sure. Because this season, it, it is going to go down to the last game. It really, really is. Um, Reynoso um, strikes me as one of these players, Steve, that he loves the big occasion. He loves mm-hmm. the big moments. And he tends to um, he tends to up his game, um, and he tends to rise to the occasion uh, whenever there is an occasion. And I'm not suggesting he doesn't deliver when it's on a you know a Wednesday night in the middle of May against you know Austin FC with all due respect, you know because he does. But he tends to 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 bring it up a notch when when it really matters. He seems to me like he's a in, in, in quotes, he's a, he's a, a big time player in terms of he he absolutely delivers when it matters most, and and that's great because Minnesota United absolutely need one of those players. Um, he was great, Steve. He he was moving the ball around so well. He was dragging players out of position. Um, so many times I noticed him floating out wide to drag Martinez out of position, uh, and, and at times Leon Flach and and. Um, uh, Alejandro Bedoya as well. Um, he just attracts so much attention. And and at the start of the game, you're right, I thought he was a little too deep. Um, and you could see Adrian Heath and the staff saying to him, no, push higher, push higher, push higher. That's where we want you. And and every time he got closer to the box, the more dangerous he seemed. Um, and the 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 assist for, for the Robin Lord goal is outrageous, Steve. It's yeah. a little it's a little back heel, which um I think it was Michael Boxall who who said um, whether it was on our, our post-game show or, or with the press, I can't remember. Um, he, he said uh, that Reynoso has eyes in the back of his head. And and it's hard to disagree, especially with a with an assist like that, because you have to be so aware of what's around you and who's around you to execute a pass like that. He's attracted the attention of two Philadelphia defenders. 
he's facing the opposite way. Robin Lud is behind him, and he just flicks it with a with the the back flick with the back of his heel. In perfectly, by the way, into Robin Lud's path. It, it's an outrageous assist. It really is. Um, and uh, I hope people recognise that because when when he's when he's in the mood. Um, I, I agree. I think um, I agree with what I've been saying this morning, and people suggesting that he may very well be one of the best players in Major League Soccer. I think he's, um, I think he's phenomenal when he's, um, particularly when he's in these big moments as well, Steve. I, I really think he he enjoys playing on the big occasions. So, um, moving forward for Minnesota, um, that's only going to be a good thing. And and we we use, I, I say that in terms of he enjoys the the big occasion because there's plenty of evidence of it as well. Last night's performance, previous games when Minnesota have needed a victory for the most part, he's turned up. The playoffs last year, mm-hmm. um, it, for, for me, Minnesota United have got one heck of a player on their hands. And it looks as if, Steve, he's just started to find a bit of form heading into the latter stages of the season. And as I said, hopefully then that'll move into the playoffs and Minnesota will have plenty of momentum behind them as well. Yeah, I think, I think Calvin... Um... The thing with Reynoso is he's he's so good, but he's he's also I mean I, you know Adrian uh, hammers home repeatedly that they need him to score more goals and be more of more of a scoring threat, which I, I think he will be. But he's also a player who needs uh, other players around him to to perform. They don't have to be spectacular, but they have to finish their chances. They have to do you know we're seeing Unu look a little better. Uh, you know the last the last couple games, I think he's he's rounding into the kind of player they hoped he would be when they, when they brought him on. I mean, I think at this point, it seems, it seems fair to say like the defense is good. It's consistent. Tyler Miller is good. He's consistent. The midfield is good and consistent. The team is ultimately the, the question is how far can Fragapane, Reynoso, Lud, and to some extent, Unu, um, take them. Can that attack work together? We saw that sort of four-headed monster come together in the postseason last year. If they can pull that thing off together and the sort of the growing, you know, the ever-growing chemistry amongst those guys. I mean, I think Reynoso, yes, has eyes in the back of his head. It's a lot of his awareness. It's also Lud's awareness to get into the right space to be there for that pass, you know, and I think that, I think is, I think Adrian Heath said this after the game, they're both just, he said it after some game, I'm not sure if it was last night, but they're both so smart. They're just smart footballers they know where to be on the pitch and so it's sort of it takes two in that situation to get you know that that, that pass to be such a great pass because you need Lud to be in the right place to take advantage of it and I think that as as Reynoso's game blossoms having guys and Fragapane also who again on a permanent basis is looking fantastic I think he flew a little under the radar because of, of missing so much time but um, you know as somebody who puts together the, the fact sheets he's he's at the top of assists per 90 assists per game um, and you know now he's adding scoring into that that's that's going to be I hope it's fun to watch I hope going forward that it that it looks as good as it's looked recently Cal and that they can keep that up yeah, well, I can tell you from the, the commentary position, Steve, it is. It's really, really fun to watch, for sure. When everybody's in unison, it, it, it really, really works. Um, I think with, with Unu, um, he's looking a little more comfortable. Um, there were a few times I noticed Adrian Heath from the sideline last night was saying to him, you know, get in this position, get in that position. So I'm, I'm still not convinced it's it's majorly natural to him. But I, I, as I've said from the get-go, it doesn't mean he can't learn, doesn't mean he, he can't um, figure out how to work in this system. So... Um, I thought he, he gave another good account of himself for sure. Um, Reynoso is top class. Robin Lord obviously provides um, so much, particularly um, when he's on that right hand side as well and providing different angles and what have you. You know, by the way, his finish for that second goal was wonderful. Yeah. We've spoken about how how good the Reynoso assist was. That the finish from uh, Robin Lord was exquisite as well. 
He's, I, I mean, if there's not he's a net a, there, Steve, I'm convinced it's still moving the ball. <laughs> he's uh, he's fluent in finish, if you will. Oh, there you go. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> the yellow card for you, by the way. Um, <laughs> I <shouldn't> have that. <laughs> uh, it's. Uh, yeah, no, I'm convinced if, if if the net's not there, the ball's still moving. It's somewhere in St. Paul now because he, he he's hit the living daylights out of it. So yeah, uh, and finished it so well. So um, look, I, I think you know the the one ask I think many fans would would have would be that the the four headed monster as you as you describe them um, are a bit more consistent heading into to this final stretch and into the playoffs. Should Minnesota get there, um, we've not had a a real consistent amount of games to see the first choice top four this season because of obviously Unu only arrived in the summer. There's been a, a slew of injuries and, and reasons why people aren't unavailable and what have you, international duty and all sorts. So I hope now we actually get some consistent game time from Unu up top, Fragapane on the left, Lerd on the right and Reynoso in the 10 role uh, because that seems to be as, as first team as they come. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see, Steve, but because you're right, the rest of the team is fine. The rest of the team's no problem. Um, it, it's it's solid and consistent. You, you're quite right in saying that. So the, the only issue for the team really this year has been up front in terms of scoring goals. And I saw yesterday, um, I, I may have said it in commentary, um, I, looking through your notes and what have you, um, Reynoso is second in the league in terms of passes that are considered key, whatever those are nowadays. Um, and, and I do wonder if, if there was... Um, if Minnesota did have a confident and natural goal scorer up front all season long, I think the numbers that he's got right now, it's four goals and, and eight assists. This was prior to last night. I'm sure those numbers are, are up since, but yeah, it's 10 um, now. It's up to there you go. Okay. Secondary, so yeah. Um, I, I, I'm fairly convinced that those numbers would have doubled Steve in terms of assists anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, he's such a delight to watch. He really, really is. So uh, we're, we're very fortunate to have them, Steve. Um, but I think now hopefully we, we get a couple of games where we see that front four together and hopefully they can um, perform as they did when they were together for the brief time uh, last night against Philly. Um, and, and hopefully we, we see some resemblance of, of consistency uh, and hopefully the attacking units that many Minnesota United fans expected this season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, there's, there's some statistical ways in which it's Reynoso just jumps off the page. I mean, th- there's like brute force numbers in terms of shots. He's actually taken a lot of shots. He's up in the, the top 10 of, of, of shots for the whole season. Um, but, you know, one thing I w- my attention was drawn to is that he has uh, 90 uh, successful dribbles. And, you know, a dribble is basically beating your man with the ball. The next closest player on the team to that is Hassani Dotson with 35. Uh, and behind him is Ramon Metanier with 26. And then I think, uh, let's see, who's next? Chase Gasper with 16. So basically, he's got more than the next three guys combined in terms of taking guys off the dribble. And that's and then the key passes thing is also something uh, crazy again, which I think key passes are like the, the pass that that could have led to a goal that could have sure. that led to a shot. Right. So, um, and he's behind Carlos Hill, who's obviously mm-hmm. out of his mind. And then it's like nobody else. Like, I don't, I can't remember. Let's see if I have the, the stats here. Um, I need to switch to general key passes. He has 77 key passes next on the team is 
Will Trapp with 21. No, Ramon Metinier with 33. So again, he's just so far out ahead huh. in terms of what he means just by a, like weight. Like if you had like a, a pie chart, you just see how much of, of, of the attack he is he's holding up. Um, Will Trapp, shout out to Will Trapp. He had nearly 95% passing accuracy against Philadelphia. Um, which is pretty good. Uh, just one of those things I noted. He doesn't jump out on the score sheet a lot, so that was one of those things that as I was looking down to prepare for uh, notes for next for this next game, I was like, eh, "That's my boy, Will Trap, looking 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 good out there doing doing his job." Um, all right, let's move on to LAFC. But first, when injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. Convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. All right. LAFC. Um, speaking of teams that have had a disappointing season, um, especially based on uh, expectations and uh, some advanced analytics. I have not looked at it recently. I'll, I'll call it up as, as as we're talking about, as you talk about what, you, what you've seen. There's something ridiculous. Their expected goals is like so far beyond what they've actually managed to score. Um, from your understanding, from your, you know, like your watching of, of LAFC, what do you think has been the the sort of the, the key issue they've faced that sort of kept them from getting back up to into the playoffs consistently and being a threat to make it to the postseason? I, I think it's been a season, Steve, where they've not had enough consistency uh, in terms of the starting 11. And, and what I mean by that is that the, they, they've moved the starting 11 around a lot this year. Um, that that'll obviously play its part, and and it's not it's not just you know right we're taking this player out for this game we'll, we'll maybe take these two out for this game it's been wholesale changes, um, for for the best part of the season really Steve there's been a lot of changes around um, and and finally now they've they they found some consistency at the back um, that they've you know for the last couple of games um, they've gone to a back five which has helped them. Um, Murillo, I think, has come in and replaced the injured Segura really, really well. Um, Eddie Segura has been a massive loss for them. He's been out uh, with a knee injury since July, uh, and that was a huge loss for them. Um, the other thing, Steve, which which has been a, a problem for LAFC, um, ever since they let go of Tyler Miller, ironically, has been the goalkeeping situation for them. Um, you know, it, it, it seems as though the likes of Sisniega, uh, um, who, who Minnesota have seen in the past, um, hasn't really worked out. Uh, Thomas Romero, uh, a, a young goalkeeper who I think had a good spell at one stage, but but he's um, probably not ready to be an MLS number one quite yet. So they brought in um, Jamal Blackman, uh, who was forever the number four choice goalkeeper at Chelsea for a long, long time in England. Um, he's had various moves around the second division in England. He was with uh, Leeds United. He was with Sheffield United. Um, and then I think it was last year he was with Rotherham United, um, who are a smaller team for, for those unaware. But but he got, um, what was it, 28 appearances, I think it was, or something. So mm-hmm. he, he's always been at that level. He's always been a, a good championship goalkeeper. Um, and I've said to you before, Steve, I think Major League Soccer is comparable to that level. And I say that with all due respect because the championship is still viewed as one of the top 10 leagues in the world. Um, so I, I thought it was a really astute signing. It, it's an area that they've had real problems with. Um, we all remember uh, Kenneth Vermeer 
um, just didn't work out for LAFC, ended up at Cincinnati, where it has continued to not work out for them. Um, so the goalkeeping situation has been a, a head scratch of a Bob Bradley this year, for sure. Um, whenever they don't have Atuesta in midfield, which has been more often um, than, than previous years this year because of little injuries and what have you, um, they, they've struggled to transition to the centre of midfield. Um, and when they're playing a back five, they, they need to. Um, and then uh, they've obviously had uh, Rodriguez come back from a loan spell at uh, Almeria in Spain. Um, and they've had to find a way to get him back in. Diego Rossi has obviously gone out on loan to Fenerbahce in, in Turkey. Um, many would assume he he won't return. There's a, To my understanding, there's an agreement in there to make the move permanent if he does indeed impress. He scored the other day on his debut, by the way. Um, and that uh, they've been, I think, Steve, the main reason why they've um, all of a sudden seemingly turned things around and... and um, started to to mount some sort of challenge uh, into the into the playoffs this year uh, is because of, of Christian uh, Aranco, um, mm-hmm. who who I I knew about and had heard about um, a couple of years ago. He he was at Benfica in Portugal, didn't really work out for him. Um, so we ended up back in Colombia and scored a bucket load of goals for Milanarios, uh, one of the the top teams in Colombia. Uh, and there was a couple of interested MLS teams. But LAFC had the um, had his his rights, the discovery rights, um, and uh, they, they went for him. And I think now, Steve, he got a hat trick last night against Dallas. Um, I think it's now eleven goals in thirteen games, uh, eleven starts. So it's clearly working quite well. Uh, and so he, he's been the main catalyst in terms of the turnaround. Um, Carlos Vela is another year older. Um, I, I'm interested to see if he's still at LAFC next season. And I say that in terms of not because he's he's not good enough, because he still clearly is um, more than good enough. I think at, at times I, I think he's too good for the league. Um, and again, I say that with all due respect. But again, suggestions um, from people in the know that he's looking for a move. Um, maybe he wants to finish his career in Mexico. Uh, maybe he wants to go elsewhere. Um so we'll have to wait and see. But um, that, that seems to be the suggestion at the moment is that um, both Vela and Atuesta may not be available um, for the game on, on Saturday, which would be big for Minnesota United. Um, both have had a couple of little injuries here and there. I know that LA have flown to Minneapolis uh, this morning. So I would assume they're, they're just getting into the hotel now as we speak. Um, but it, it, it's, it's been an abundance of different things, Steve, for LAFC. Um, and, and it's all culminized in, in a situation where I don't think they've been as consistent as they have been in the past, basically. And um, it, it comes from a slew of different reasons, uh, many of which I've just explained. Yeah, I think that, you know, if you look back at, at sort of LAFC's really dominant season, um, which was 2019, right? Is that that, that was um, their best one? You know, the, the, it's sort of a testament to the fact that you tend to think of like some teams as, you know, they have stars and then there's teams that are more than the sum of their parts. But it's like even a team with a lot of good players can be more than the sum of those parts. And I think LAFC were sort of in that in that boat when you were looking at um, Rossi, uh, Vela, you know, different different strikers up front. But but those two guys on the wings and then that sort of combination of Latif Blessing, Mark Anthony K, Edward Atuesta um, and I'm blanking on the guy who played for the revolution and then was on LAFC and now is with Miami. What, what position? Is it 
uh, it was midfielder, uh, a Korean guy or an Asian guy. Oh, Lee Wynn. <laughs> Lee Wynn. Thank you. I was like, I knew it was Wynn. I was just, I can't remember. So Lee Wynn. Yes. So that, that sort of that, that conglomeration of guys. And again, Lee Wynn after sort of not having, you know, he's sort of a renaissance in with LAFC, you put the right guys together who are all good. They can get even better, you know, and you, I think to your point, like availability, is one of the most important abilities that a player can have and having guys who who aren't in there's injuries there's there's loans and sometimes those loans are the right the right move for guys obviously but you don't have them so here's the here's the stat stuff that I was I was going to talk about a little bit with LAFC uh they have scored 44 goals and they have allowed 44 goals so they're dead even on 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 goal differential um based on expected goals their expected goals for is 53.05 so almost you know, the expected goals would say you should have 10 more goals than you have. Their expected goals allowed is 30.75. So they've allowed almost 14 more goals um, than they should have, which makes for an expected goal differential of 22.3. So that's the gap between what you would expect in terms of what their goal differential should be and what it actually is, which is just gigantic. Because a lot of times you'll look mm -hmm. at teams and you look at expected goals and you'll sort of see like, well, they're having trouble finishing. So they're not, you know, there's, their expected goals allowed is about the same. Their expected goals for is, you know, is, is much higher than their actual goals for, or they've been unlucky or their defense hasn't been great. And so maybe their expected goals is okay, but their expected goals against is, is, is off. LAFC has sort of gone in both directions. Like they both have not finished their chances and they've allowed more finishing than you would think based on the chances that they've, they've offered other teams. It's just really tough. I mean, that's, it's, it's ridiculous. The next one down in terms of the differential from, from your goal, your actual goal differential and your expected goal differential is Toronto, and that's at 12.5. So that's almost half of what the gap is for LAFC. So yeah, you can have debates about like how useful these analytics are, but again, the expected goals thing is just talking about based on the chances you get, should they be finishing, uh, should they be preventing those finishes or should they be finishing their shots? And LAFC has just struggled sort of on, on both ends there. It's really, it's a real, it's a real outlier, which is it's just, a, it's just some crazy stats for the season, Cal. Yeah, you're still not convinced with expected goals, by the way, mate. Um, <laughs> I understand the concept and the principle, but um, no. Um, yeah, it's look, that we'll talk. We'll have. We'll talk about expected goals another time. We we can do our own a very own podcast about expected goals for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, look, gotcha. as I said, just just wildly inconsistent this year, Steve. For, for me, LAFC. Um, so. Um, I don't know what they're going to what they're going to do when when they come to to Minnesota this this weekend because um, as we sort of alluded to earlier on, Steve, it, it's it's that time of year where where every point is is absolutely vital and and, and you have to go for it really. So I mean they've, they've got four away wins um, so far this season. I think they beat Austin away twice. I just saw in my notes they they beat Real Salt Lake as well, and obviously they beat FC Dallas on Wednesday night. So they can uh, if they need to, they they can play on the road. They can open up for sure, but. Um, I wonder, will they be a little more reserved at Minnesota now that they've beaten Dallas and they've gotten um, a couple of points that they, they may not have expected to get? I don't know. Um, but having said that, the other the, the counter argument to it is you, you've got to go and try and win every game. Mm -hmm. um, because at the moment, LAFC are outside looking in. They're eighth, to my knowledge, in the Western Conference. Um they need to win. <laughs> they have to go and win. So I don't know if they if the approach will be similar to that of Colorado, which you and I spoke about on the podcast before that Rapids game. Mm -hmm. um, will they, with the five-man back line, will they sit back? 
Will they absorb pressure and will they counter press and look to hurt Minnesota, um, which we have seen in the past, and we'll use that Colorado game as an, as an example, it can be very effective on Minnesota as well. Um, because mm-hmm. again, particularly at home, when the emphasis is on Minnesota, and as it is on every home team to go and push and press uh, and force the issue. Um, so I wonder if that's going to be their approach. I'll be very, very interested to see. But the, the main thing I'm interested in, Steve, is, is to see if Carlos Vela and, and Edward Atuesta are available because it has been suggested now by several people um, that neither are going to partake in the game here in Minnesota. And if that's the case, that is a huge plus point for Minnesota United for sure. Yeah. Uh, in 2019, Minnesota United went to uh, LAFC and played a five-man back line uh, and were the only team to win uh, at the Bank of California that, that season, I believe, uh, I in the regular season. So so maybe that five-man back line will, will pay off for LAFC. They'll get a little, little revenge for that. One note about FC Dallas I wanted to throw out there. I think Charles Bohm mentioned this on, on Twitter. Uh, when they fired Luchi Gonzalez, they were seven points short of the playoff line. And, uh, you know, the, the quote was, we hope to, you know, get a bounce out of it. You know, like we have, we can still get in there. They're now out of the playoffs. So firing your coach didn't, didn't, didn't really work out there for, for FC Dallas. And they just lost LAFC. So. Mate, I don't, I don't understand with the Dallas situation right now because what the Luchi Gonzalez firing was perhaps the most puzzling firing of yeah. the season to me because they, it was clear that the, the whole expectation at FC Dallas was right. We have, we have the best academy in the country. We are going to develop players from our academy. That That's where we're going to get the crux of our players from. And from time to time, through the millions of dollars that we sell those players for, we may reinvest from time to time on, on a couple of players here and there. Um, what's Luchi Gonzalez supposed to do? Yeah. He's legitimately losing his best players every six months at this rate. So to fire him... I thought was was very very strange by the the Hunt family. I thought that was a very strange decision, um, and I'll be interested to see what the expectations are for whoever they bring in next. It wouldn't surprise me again if they appoint within, um, mm-hmm. but if they do bring in somebody from outside, that uh, I'd be intrigued to see what the expectations are there because um, if it wants to be any different, if Dallas wants to be considered a successful organization, which I I, I thought they were to be honest, Steve, they've made the mm-hmm. playoffs most year uh, most years going um in, in previous years rather um so I, I was just very very surprised so I, i'd be interested to see what the expectations are moving forward for them for sure also what one of the notes steve before we, we finish here um I, I just wanted to get this off my chest and, and um talk about it a little bit because i i saw it got some attention um yesterday in the media when the the salaries were made available um mm. in, in yes. the world of major league soccer which is still still very bizarre to me but anyway um Salaries were made available. You can check them out by typing in MLSPA, I think, on, on one of the search engines on the internet. Um, and it, it it was revealed that um, Adrian Unu makes, was it 2.58 million or something along those something lines? Like yeah. People were furious with that number. Um, so here's what I would say. Um, and I think a lot of people were, were, were irritated because they saw how low Franco Fragapane's number was as well, which was something like 145 grand a year. Mm-hmm. So here's what I'll say about this. Um, you have to think and understand the economic situation in those countries where they've come from. You have to understand the footballing economics of where these players have come from as well. To attract a player like Adrian Unu, um, he is going to be on a certain number in a league like Ligue 1 in France. Um, 
I'm assuming his number was quite similar to the one he's on now. He's not going to move from Ligue 1 to come and play in Major League Soccer for a lesser salary. It's just not going to happen. Major League Soccer is not there. Um, and so we can't blame the player for this. Um, we can't necessarily even blame the club for this because there has to be an expectation. Um, and for a player to come from a financially sound league and a, a richer league than Major League Soccer, I'm sure, um, he's not going to come here for any less than what he's already earning. And and I'm, I, I don't know what his salary was at Rennes, but I, I would... I would assume it was something similar. Um, mm -hmm. We know he wanted to come and play here, so I can't imagine he, he asked for bucket loads of money to come and play here because he wanted to come to MLS and he wanted to come to Minnesota specifically. Um, so I, I think that there was a lot made of, of his, his salary, which is unnecessary, really. Um, and, and people suggesting that Fragapane needs a, a wage rise. I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, but again, it goes back to footballing economics and, and, and the... Um, the economic situation in Argentina at the moment um, is not great. Believe me, I have spent a lot of time around Argentine football the last year or so and speak to a lot of people down there. Um, from a monetary point of view, it's, it's not great down there at the moment. And I'm sure Franco Fragapane took that deal um, knowing that maybe if he impresses, there's an extension on the horizon, right. which could lead to more money for him, which I don't think where he was playing at Tazieres, um I, I don't think he would have made much more money. The only way he would have made more money, Steve, is if he would have ended up signing for a, a Boca Juniors or a River Plate or something along those lines, you know, um, or, or maybe going down to Brazil. You know, the, he wouldn't have mm -hmm. made much more money. So I, I think you, you have to praise the club for for bringing in somebody as effective as, as Fragapane for that amount of money as well. For me, that's really, really good business by by Mark Watson um, to get a player of that caliber in for that wage. Um, and, and I'm not disagreeing. Yeah, of course he deserves a wage rise. Absolutely he does. But, That'll come in due course, I'm sure, if he continues to play the way he is. Right. But we can't we can't critique the club. Um, you can't critique um, the way that things are done um, just because but when you see the salary. I, I think you, you have to credit the club and you have to credit Mark Watson for getting that deal done and getting a player of that calibre in on that salary. And I think if he carries on on the trajectory he's on, of course he's going to get a wage rise. But the, the main thing was that I just wanted to point out with, with Unu, you can't blame the player. You can't blame the club. It, it is down to the economics of that country and Ligue 1 as well in France. Um, if you're going to get a player like that, you have to pay a certain rate. It's just the way it is. Yeah, I think uh, a couple a couple other things. Uh, having spoken, um, you know, to people who have expertise on how this stuff gets done, I mean, a, a roster is like a it's like a Tetris game of fitting of fitting players in, and especially with with MLS, there's so many different mechanisms from uh, the DP to allocation money uh, to homegrown rights to generation Adidas to transfer money. When you look at those salaries, like you should know that they're in the ballpark, but there's players have wildly different salaries for wildly different reasons that have to do with what the transfer fees were with how those salaries are bought down with allocation money, how all of this stuff fits in together. And so it's, it's not enough to just be like, Oh, well, the, and second of all, these guys don't work for tips. It's not like you had a great performance. Here's another hundred thousand dollars. Like it's, it's salaries that get renegotiated at certain times all the time. This is the way the players association has it set up. This is how it's done. You know, you look at guys like Brent Coleman, uh, Hassani Dotson, those guys are making like 
dollars a year or something like that. If you go back and look at the salaries, you know, from a couple of years ago, like that's sure. what those deals are. They play the they play under those deals in order to get a bigger deal, and they they got those deals. You look at Brent Coleman now and Hassani Dotson now they got they got wage rises. Fragapane has been playing great. If he's if he continues to play great, when it's time to renegotiate, he'll probably get more. Um, you know, it's just it's one of those things. And above all of that, part of me is like, why do you care how much money anybody gets? It's a, like if they play if it goes okay, like mm. it's not your money, like it's somebody else's money. <laughs> um, it, it's just one of those things. I understand it's interesting and it's it's a thing people like to focus on um, because it, it it sort of connects it to the real world somehow. Um, and we all know about setting our budgets and how much we we paid for various things in our lives and and how effective those things are. And we love to get good deals. Uh, we understand that. I think at some point you got to sort of back off and be like, this is how the team gets made. And it's not made in this perfect way that like everybody is paid exactly what they're supposed to be paid. Some people are overpaid. Some people are underpaid. You hope that overall this balances out and the team, you know, comes together in a way that makes sense for the team. So that's, that's my, that's my last word on it, but thank you for, for jumping in there. Now we're going to turn our attention to LAFC this weekend uh, on Saturday should be a great game. Uh, I do like those LAFC colors. I think they're going to look real nice. Mm. Real nice with the Minnesota blue. So I love a good aesthetically pleasing matchup. So I think that's what I'm looking forward to. Thanks for joining us for the 161st Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com. You can follow me at Steve Andrus. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner, which is, it's an old Kai Wagner story is why I say that. Uh, And remember... There's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are.